0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times that it? with instant analysis of WWE Money in the Bank. That's right, the Silver King is back once again and we are here just minutes after WWE Money in the Bank went off the air, and what a damn show it was. The first WWE pay-per-view with a sold out crowd in nearly 18 months, delivered in nearly every way Sunday night. My co-host on this podcast, vintage Chris Vanini, was in attendance in Fort Worth, Texas. He had a great seat. He got to see it all go down live, and I am quite jealous of him. Now we will bring Chris in a minute, The issue that we have right now is he's actually driving home from the arena, from the show. So he is gonna be joining us from the car on his iPhone headset. We're taping this via Zoom. This is not our normal equipment. So please right off the top, any audio issues, anything that sounds weird or, or not up to our normal quality, please excuse it. We're trying to give you the best show that we possibly can. And the way we do that here, instant analysis style, is we crack open a beer, of course, Chris is a responsible adult, he is not Jimmy Uso, so he will not be inviting while he is driving. The Silver King got excited uh, previewing the show with Chris, already cracked open the can, but I am drinking a Morning Glow from Swamphead Brewing in Gainesville, Florida, Go Gators. The special beer, my final one of a six pack that I was saving for this very special occasion. So before I welcome in Chris, we're gonna get to everything that happened on Money in the Bank. I gotta remind you what this show is all about. And you folks know, it is. That means five-star ratings, reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let people know how much you love the show. Let people know how much you love these instant analysis podcasts. We put in a ton of time and effort to make sure we tape these immediately after the pay-per-view. I would love a five-star rating and review. It was the Silver King's birthday two days ago. I had a big piece of cake tonight watching Money in the Bank. Give me the gift. Of a five-star rating and review, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOvercast. Okay, the beer is popped, the stage is set. Chris, welcome to the show. How is the drive so far? It's going great. I nearly drove off the road with that Jimmy Uso joke. There, my goodness. <laughs> I did have you mute your also mute your microphone, so you know you know sold it because no one could hear you, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> also, you, we could have we could have lied and said I'm taking a limo uh, on the way back home, make it sound like uh, we're uh, pretty big time. But uh, no, I am in the car. Highways are empty. It's it's 11 o'clock uh, p.m. here in Texas, and I am high on professional
0: wrestling coming out of that show. Well, lucky for you. And lucky for Riddle, this is indeed the Money in the Bank edition. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? It is, Riddle. And well, I'm really high. And you were really high tonight. You were high on life on the show. Riddle was high on a ladder. But nevertheless, it, it was an exciting effort from all involved. Look, here's the deal. We don't have a lot of beer discussion to do. We don't have much else to get to. Let's get right into the show. Chris is driving you here You know, he's dealing with some uh, audio technical things, but we're going to talk about WWE Money in the Bank. Now, the way this normally works is we break down everything that happens on the SmackDown, go home show, along with all the matches, blah, blah, blah. But luckily we did a very special edition of this podcast on Friday. So we don't have to talk about anything that happened on SmackDown. We're getting right to the meat. We are only talking about things that happened Sunday night on WWE Money in the Bank. Now, as we set the stage for this podcast Chris and I gave our pre-show grades on our ultimate preview which was Tuesday show and our expectation going into Money in the Bank was an A minus pay-per-view and folks we did our pre-show poll which you can vote in ahead of every pay-per-view on Twitter at getting overcast and i think you guys mostly agreed we had 57.3% expecting an A 37.5% expecting a B that's 94 0.8% and we do not have a wwe uh biased votership you know in terms of these polls so 95% of people thinking it's an a or b to me that basically averages out to an a minus you were aligned right with us 4.2% c and 1% df those are the trolls we ignore them so everyone was aligned going into the show that's great uh setting the stage for the stage really let's just talk about kind of the first impressions, Money in the Bank used the same set as SmackDown, which is quite eye-catching, I have to say, on television. The one thing I noticed is the pyro on TV now looks far less impressive because it's in the context of a bigger stage than it was on the old ones. In fact, the only pyro tonight that from home I thought was particularly impressive was Roman Reigns. The rest of it just gets too small and it gets lost uh, along with all the bright lights and the screens. Edges was pretty weak, Charlotte Flair. Those are two that really stood out to me as not being as great as they could be from the stage. Chris, I know you were on the side of the stage, but how did it come across being there live?
1: Yeah, I mean, with the pyro, I, it was loud. <laughs> I was pretty close to it. It's, it caught me a couple of times where I jumped, but man, crowd was awesome. It, it, for those of you who listened to our Twitter spaces before the show, I got there a little right after Gates opened. And the place was rocking. I mean, the place was empty. I mean, I mean, there was no, like nothing going on in the ring. And there was all kinds of chants going on from the people who were sitting in their seats. There was just, let's go see the scene that sucks, which turned out to matter later later on in the show. But this crowd was hyped from the beginning. There is this weird talking point going around from certain AEW fans on Twitter that WWE is pumping in noise. I can promise you they're they're not, at least for this money to make pay-per-view, they're not pumping in noise. That crowd was as loud as you heard it on the the stream. Uh, That's how loud it was in person. They were absolutely eating up everything and it was a
0: joy to experience that in person. Well, Chris's uh, cell phone reception here for this show is about equivalent to Peacock's stream that I had to suffer through in a major way. So much so that I actually had to go off the stream for a period of time and watch on a certain other provider that will not be named on this podcast because I wanted to watch the damn show live. And, you know, the thing that gives me money in the bank wasn't working. The other thing I want to say, and this is something Chris really, I don't think, can speak to, WWE did something really nice throughout the entire pay-per-view. They used video clips showing relevant history to the individual matches during entrances of superstars. It was most notable During the women's money in the bank, because it was the first one, but they did it throughout a number of matches. We want continuity in WWE programming and storytelling. And while this isn't really a perfect example of that per se, because it was related to the matches after the fact, it wasn't part of the storyline and part of the build, maybe this is the start of WWE moving in that direction going forward. So I happen to be very excited that we saw that. So the way we handle these instant analysis podcasts, it's the opposite of what we do for our ultimate previews. Our ultimate previews, we work from the low card to the main event here on the Instant Analysis. We talk about the biggest storylines on the show, the main event, uh, big returns, things like that. And then we work our way down the card best we can to put things in context and provide relevant analysis for you. So we have to start in the main event of the show. The Universal Championship was on the line in the main event, Roman Reigns against Edge. Reigns made Edge wait in the ring after his entrance like a boxer uh, before the main event makes his kind of opponent wait for him, the champion. Uh, His pyro Reigns did not disappoint, as I said. It went full blast. There were also dual chance to start the match, which was a great visual after so long without fans. It purposely started slow to build tension with each guy getting over on the other, kind of popping the crowd with big moves. But then Reigns physically dominated Edge using ground-based offense that we've seen frequently from him. While simultaneously trash talking into the camera, and he eventually hit the drive-by outside for a near fall. So it was classic, almost Thunderdome reigns. But then everything got taken up a notch after we kind of had like the prelude, the early part of the match. Edge countered a Superman punch into a backslide for a near fall, and then he hit the edgeomatic for another near fall that the crowd popped. Uh, then he hit a flatliner and the execution for another near fall. Reigns got hung up in the tree of woe after Edge pounded his head into the top of the ring post. There was another crossface that Edge tried. It got broken by Reigns finally because he reached the bottom rope after his first attempt failed. Reigns caught Edge's spear cold in a guillotine, but they rolled outside. Edge then avoided Reigns as the champion speared himself through the barricade. Edge stopped the referee's count and then he himself speared Reigns through another part of the barricade before firemen's carrying him back into the ring only for a really weak, due to his lack of strength, 2.9 kickout. Reigns blocked another execution, hit a Superman punch, driving Edge into Charles Robinson for a ref bump. He broke off the bottom rung for a chair and he laughed at Edge before screaming at him and the fans. He tried to do the crossface with the bar, but Edge blocked it. He headbutted him like a dozen times and then he used the crossface with the bar himself. Reigns screamed, but he did not tap. I thought that was notable and interesting as the Usos ran down only to be taken out and chased off by the Mysterios. So we're getting into Schma's territory here. Suddenly, Seth Rollins came in. We'll talk about why Seth Rollins got involved a little bit later. Super kicked Edge in the back of the head. Reigns sold his injured jaw. Edge countered Reigns' spear with one of his own, but no one was there to count. Now, what happened here was really interesting. And Chris, I don't know if you saw this live, because maybe the shoulders were pointed away from you. But after that spear, the crowd starts counting one, two, three, without a referee anywhere in the ring. And Reigns kicked out. At 2.9 on the crowd's count, I think my presumption is that he didn't know the replacement referee wasn't there because it was so loud in the arena. I did not know that.
1: I had a, I had a, one of their hanging cameras that was actually right in the way on that specific cover. I did not know that Roman kicked out. That's funny, though. But to your point, yeah, the crowd was incredibly loud because There were the dueling chants at the beginning. Um, I, you know, I thought it was a pretty slow start, but I, I have to admit the crowd was into it the whole way. Like even if you thought it was too slow, crowd was there the whole
0: time. So after that fake out kick out, the referee finally slides into the ring, and Reigns officially kicks out at 2.9. Like I said, it was a botch, but I'm, it's totally acceptable given how loud it was in there. Edge went for another spear when Rollins appeared a second time. Edge kicked him off the ring apron, and Reigns caught Edge with the spear. For the win to retain the title. Was this a schmazz finish? Yes, you bet your ass it was. Was it perfectly booked? You're damn right. I want clean finishes in my main events, full stop, but it's important for WrestleMania and SummerSlam and the Royal Rumble in particular. And despite this being a huge event for Money in the Bank, the show delivered in so many other ways. This match included was fantastic. So for us not to get a squeaky clean finish, it leaves Rain's Edge still out there in the future as a possible match that maybe we get once more. It also created not just one, but as we will talk about soon in the post-match after I let Chris go, two matches already set basically for SummerSlam. So this was really good. The main event in my opinion, delivered in every possible way except the clean finish, which is okay. Do I think it was the greatest match ever? No, I went 4.25 stars in an A, but that is, it's an A, it's a main event. It was really good.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, there was, it, it dragged at the beginning for quite a while. There was a lot of playing to the crowd. There was a lot of, you know, not test of strength, but just kind of do a move for a lot of the ring type of stuff. So it took a bit to get going. I don't know what the final time of the match was. I guess it was maybe 30, 40 minutes, one of those. You could tell that it was going to, early on, you could tell it was going to be one of those types of main events for for WWE. One they haven't been able to do in the Thunderdome era. They never, they didn't have long matches. Even at WrestleMania, nothing was, was very long. So they brought back an old style of match that they have not actually done in quite a while. And yeah, is it a schmazz finish? Yeah, but you're okay with it. If it sets up something, and that's what Schmazza is supposed to do, exactly. it's, it's, supposed, it's supposed to be a storytelling device. And it's and then, not
0: supposed to create a rematch. It's supposed to create a, an interesting, exciting match, which this did. Not one, but two. Yes.
1: Yes. It, it, it took you. It was a step to something else, and that something else is awesome. So it worked. And I, I was glad. I love Roman winning with a spear. he's been winning via submission for such a long time. I think with the live crowd, they're having the one, two, three really makes a difference when you're finishing a match. So I I like that too.
0: It really did. Now, that was great. The match was good. For every reason Chris said, that's why I went with 4.25 stars instead of any more because it did start slow. The finish wasn't perfectly clean, but it still was great. So you have to figure out how to grade something like that. For me, that's what a 4.25 star match is after the match Rollins attacked Edge and stared Reigns down yelling in his face getting ready to challenge him for SummerSlam then Edge attacked Rollins and they brawled first outside the ring at ringside and then into the crowd Reigns took the mic which WWE never does at the end of pay-per-views and said now the whole world can acknowledge him to a chorus of boos I actually thought There was a small chance he might say, this is my yard now, or like a playoff of that to just get the booze raining down on him in a callback type of sense. But no, he said instead, you can acknowledge me. And just as it seemed, the show was over. Out of nowhere, John Cena's music hits and the crowd, best I can tell, Chris, I'll let you get in right now before we keep talking about it. The crowd seemed to lose its mind to a level that watching from home, I can only compare to Kofi Kingston winning the title at WrestleMania
1: 35.
0: I mean, I, I, so first, Roman takes the mic,
1: and we talked about this on Friday. He did not cut a promo to the crowd on that Friday SmackDown, which surprised me, given everything he's been on, I thought they would kind of try to build some heat and have to talk to the crowd. They didn't, so he gets the mic here, and I'm thinking, oh, this will be it. He says, acknowledge me. I thought it was over. I had turned around. I was trying to take a picture of myself with him in the background. And then you hear the trumpets blaring. And I freaked out. Everybody freaked out. And absolute ape shit. And everybody ate up, scene, everybody throw up the three fingers. Everybody was happy to see them. There was not a single person who did not want to see John Cena. I will tell you that. And it was awesome. And actually, one more thing. Speaking of the crowd. I forgot to say this. During the entrance and during the match for Roman, all the kids are booing Roman, and all the middle-aged fans who you might call hardcore fans are cheering him. It is completely flipped. And if you're WWE, this is generally what you want, because you know you, you, you need those boos, but he has that he has that cool heel respect that I wondered if, if he if he would get. So the reaction may seem mixed coming through the screen. I can't tell, but all the kids were booing him. It was, and, and, and there were a lot of people who were like clapping for him out of respect. It was really something to see. And then John Cena comes out and everybody goes crazy and everybody can't wait to see this.
0: Now, what you missed. So this was a fantastic return. It was a fantastic moment. I don't think anyone expected it. Everyone probably expected it Friday on SmackDown, which is certainly what I expected, Fox gets a huge ratings pop and they're really happy. But they come out or Cena comes out. Michael Cole practically shit himself on the mic. Like he was screaming like a (laughs) child, which was incredible. And Pat McAfee goes, where, where? I don't see him. So he sold the you can't see me shit. So, And by the way, Chris, I'm sure you're going to watch this replay at some point, maybe tomorrow, of Money in the Bank. Pat McAfee was incredible The entire show. Credit to him. But anyway, the roof blows off the arena. Cena steps to Reigns. He does the You Can't See Me in His Face. He celebrates as Reigns watched him to end the show on a cliffhanger. Now, that's what happened for us viewers at home. You know, Chris uh, posted a little bit of what happened. I sent a Twitter video out of Cena's post match promo. And Cena basically said, Hey, look, um, this isn't just a one time thing for me. This is the start, and I'll see you soon of a number of appearances. So basically, he's saying, Hey, I'll see you over the next month. And basically, I'm going to wrestle at SummerSlam without actually saying that. WWE, since the show has gone off the air, posted a video from John Cena saying he will deliver answers this Monday on Raw. So they are going to pop a rating tomorrow night on Raw. But this entire thing, John Cena returning, the finish of the match, Seth Rollins involved at a pay per view. That is four or five weeks. I haven't done an exact count before the second biggest show of the year, which may end up being WWE's biggest show of the year or maybe most important show of the year. We already have two matches unofficially set Seth Rollins versus Edge, which is a dream match and a potential match of the year candidate, at least in WWE, and Roman Reigns versus John Cena, which was a dream match that we got in a weird circumstance and is now a rematch on the biggest stage possible and is most certainly a dream match that all of us would love to see. So not only did WWE deliver an exceptional pay-per-view with Money in the Bank, we will do our grades at the end of the show, but they set up, it's not gonna be the co-main event, but two top tier matches for their next pay-per-view in four or five weeks time. And considering all of that, you throw the schmoz finish, shove it up your ass. Who cares? It doesn't even matter. Because everything else that happened surrounding it was so damn good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the point is to send the fans home happy. So even if, even if, even if you didn't like the match, it ended exciting. And that's great. And, you know, speaking of Fox and, you know, popping a rating or whatever with, with Cena or whatever, you know, in a way, this does do that because now we can expect to see Cena on Friday, whereas you'd probably get more people now than if you had people wondering if you would show up Absolutely. unless they were to, unless they were to announce it on Twitter ahead
0: of time or something that John Cena's coming back. First of so, all, first of all, Raw is going to pop a huge rating because he's kicking off Raw, so they're oh, getting is the he? rating oh, on. Okay. Yeah, so they're getting the rating on Monday, and then I'm sure he's going to say I'll be on SmackDown Friday, so they're going to get a huge rating on Friday too. It, it's very oh, okay, that's
1: because I was thinking yeah. coming out of the show, I was like, man, this is the problem. With SmackDown being the A show, is that you have a hot finish to a pay per view, but the start of the next day is not the exciting stuff. But if Cena's kicking it off, that makes sense. This, I, I am so excited for Roman Cena. I'm excited for the promos. Go back and watch, it was before No Mercy in 2015, 2016. I don't remember what it's on YouTube. It's like a 15 minute video. I watched it a couple months back. I think I mentioned it on here. And Cena steps up to Roman and challenges him on the mic. And Roman forgets his lines a few times. And, and, and Cena basically says, I'm only here because you can't do your job. Basically, that was that whole promo. That with was, Cena. yes. And that was an amazing back and forth. The Roman, Roman kind of gets his footing in that and kind of starts to go. But you look at that Roman to now, it's a completely different Roman Reigns. And I cannot wait to see the sequel to that, essentially, when we get them one-on-one talking in, in the ring, because now Roman is the guy that, that, that Cena doesn't need to come back for. So it's going
0: to be fascinating, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. No, you're right. And I actually tweeted this during the show. You wouldn't have seen it. But this is a guy who just a few years ago was saying, suffering succotash in a vest, covering his like massive built chest and hiding all his features and saying corny ass baby face lines that weren't getting over and now you have the top heel and one of the top two wrestlers, in my opinion, easily the number one wrestler in the world right now in Roman Reigns. This guy, it's, done, it's been a complete 180 since he returned with this new character. Every single time we see him is somehow better or slightly different, more conniving, um, more brainwashing, whatever the case might be, than the last. And it's just a pleasure to watch this guy do what he does every single time he steps in the ring or grabs a mic. And this was another example of it. And by the way, to your point, you were wondering about match length. It was 3310, which was basically twice as long as any other match on the show. And that's okay. We got a one, two, two 17-minute matches, a 16-minute match, and a couple other shorter matches. But it was a well-laid out card. This needed to be in the main event, given the fact that it was a half hour long. Could it have cut down? It probably could have shaved... Four to five minutes, the beginning portion, it did go slow like you and I both talked about. But I I think starting slow kind of helped set up the climax. And for that reason, I was kind of okay with the way it went. Now, look, we got a long show. We got a lot to talk about. So we are going to move on here. I want to talk next about the men's money in the bank, which ties in directly in some ways to this booking. We had Drew McIntyre against Riddle, Ricochet, John Morrison, Big E, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura, King Nakamura, and Seth Rollins. Now, we had McIntyre. He mostly got cheers, but some boos in a backstage promo. He did a city pop, an anti-Thunderdome pop, and then he trolled me directly, I think, but definitely the fans, uh, saying he's about to do a story time, only to not do one and cut a strong promo, which was probably his best altogether in two or three months, because he's been cutting these corny promos recently. Uh, There was a backstage segment with Rick Boogs and Riddle. They were singing Randy Orton's theme while Nakamura posed like Orton. It was hysterical. Riddle talked about Orton despising pants, which is a longtime joke in WWE. Nakamura nearly cracked up. Kevin Owens was watching the entire thing in disbelief, like shaking his head like, what am I seeing right now? It was very funny and a great moment. Also to note, Ricochet was back in his ring gear, no longer wearing the black pants. And Morrison on his entrance told Miz, to go backstage and let him fight on his own. So that's the setup to men's money in the bank. A lot happened in this match, so please bear with me. I tried to cut it down best I can. Uh, Rollins and Morrison argued about drip at ringside to start. Ricochet hit an insane Tope Con Hero and Riddle hit a corkscrew. That's just how the match started. McIntyre and Biggie were alone, they locked horns with Biggie spearing him out of the ring. Nakamura hit Owens with an exploder into a ladder then did an armbar on Morrison, bending him over backwards at the top of a ladder, which was really cool. Then a drip chant broke out. So Rollins and Morrison shrugged and they decided to team up, which was pretty funny. They aligned, they used the ladder as a battering ram on everyone. KO did a springboard moonsault onto an elevated ladder, squashing the drip squad. Uh, So they did an assisted falcon arrow, putting Owens into a ladder that was propped up on its side. Morrison completely missed a parkour move. In the corner that was an absolutely terrible botch uh but again the rest of the match was so great it was easy to forget about riddle took out rollins with an rko then he had an incredible exchange with nakamura which was a great tease for like a feud i could watch probably for months on end since it's wwe Uh, but both of them eventually ate a double claymore for mcintyre mcintyre then countered the big ending into a future shock ddt then he hit ricochet with an alabama slam into a propped up ladder he followed with a tope con hero outside to six guys, then a Glasgow kiss and Claymore to Rollins. And he starts climbing the ladder and it seemed too early, you know, for him to win or for the match to finish. But he starts climbing the ladder and uh, it's a mix of cheers and boos. Chris, before I continue, what did you think the reception was for McIntyre?
1: Uh, well,
0: so when he start, when
1: he first appeared backstage for the promo, there were more boos than cheers. But he cuts a good promo about love and Fort Worth that turned into cheers. It was it, when he did his entrance. I, I think Peacock may have been out for you guys at the spot it during these entrances. Yeah, yeah uh, it, it was it was a good amount of cheers, but there were some boos. The biggest pop on the entrances was Kevin Owens. Second was Nakamura sing along to his song. So
0: those two stuck out. What about the when the he entrance? climbed the What about when he climbed the ladder?
1: Um, it was kind of a like it was like a. Just like the general excitement of someone climbing the ladder. I don't know gotcha. if there was any anything more specific to
0: him. Gotcha. To me, it sounded muted at a minimum and maybe some booze. But we talked about this. They made him corny. And we didn't think the fan reception would be what it should be for McIntyre if they hadn't kind of, I guess, cooled him off in some way over the last couple of months. But nevertheless, let's move on. So he's climbing the ladder. Suddenly, Jinder Mahal and his crew take him out. They drag him backstage, hit him with a chair, kick his ass, drag him backstage. So I'm not a fan of outside interference in special matches. People not involved in the Royal Rumble, eliminating people from the Royal Rumble. People not involved in Money in the Bank, taking someone out of the match and eliminating them. Uh, But they did telegraph the entire thing on Raw with Mahal either talking about taking someone's place and obviously the feud that's been happening with McIntyre. So it was, I guess, a good way to feature your top baby face on Raw in an important match, but not have him factor into the finish and not have him get beat by someone else. So A for effort on WWE there, but in a general sense, I don't like when that happens in a match like that, especially considering we got interference in multiple ways in the main event. For it to also happen here, it was a little bit much, but I'll keep going. Riddle was near the top of a ladder when Ricochet, Gets onto the top turnbuckle, tight rope walks across the top rope, springs himself onto the ladder. Riddle then falls down and he tips the ladder sideways. So Ricochet jumps off a falling ladder, lands on the top rope, and springs off the top rope into a cannonball on five people outside. It was easily the spot of the night, and it was one of the best ladder match spots, maybe one of the best wrestling match spots in history you can talk about nxt takeover new orleans and the move he did i think he did a I, i'm trying yeah i was there i'm trying to remember if he did something really similar he to did that a ladder fill yeah. a ladder fill and he did a moonsault or a shooting star press i believe off of the ladder or he jumped maybe onto the turnbuckle and did. i, did, it. I think that's what it was but, but it was for him to, but for him to do this in one motion with a springboard yeah. It was insane. And I know like people raved about the Young Bucks and Lucha Bros tag team ladder match that was a spot fest like hell. And maybe there were some more brutal moves, but from an athletic excitement standpoint, Chris, I've never seen anything like Ricochet just did. Yeah, nobody's
1: better than him at these kinds of things. And he should always be in matches like this, these money in banks ladder matches. You gotta have a guy in there who can just absolutely blow you away. No- that will get him over more than anything you do anywhere else in any situation. So like get Ricochet doing stuff like that. It was great. Um, and, and honestly, Drew, I, I think Drew being the, one of the powerhouses of this match actually kind of worked in a way that you had a lot of different guys who could do different things. And it also allowed Ricochet to stand out even more when he does something like
0: that. For sure. And Ricochet is basically the modern day Kofi Kingston in terms of he's going to be the spot guy in all these matches, but look what that did for Kofi Kingston over his career. So hopefully the same happens for Ricochet. Anyway, after this move, they panned to riddle in the crowd and he sells this thing like gap jawed. Like he's just, his mouth is hanging open. Like he accidentally like drove into a pot field in the middle of a road trip. And he's like, oh my God, look at that. Look at all this weed that I have right in front of me. Anyway, Riddle- Oh, wait, wait, wait. Actually, one thing He,
1: he, yeah, he has his mouth agape at that Ricochet move and something you didn't see when Ricochet did his entrance and he does the flip uh, off the ropes, R- uh, Riddle did the same thing. He, he like stood there with his mouth wide open. He, he was like looking oh, around okay. like he couldn't believe it. So he played off it
0: again. Uh, it, was, it was pretty funny both times. It is pretty cool. And look, you know, RK-Bro is a thing. But those two as a tag team is something that at some point in their careers, I think, would work. But anyway, so Riddle then pulls Biggie and Ricochet off the ladder for RKOs. Rollins catches Riddle with a stomp. Nakamura hits Rollins with a go to sleep. Morrison took Nakamura out with a drip stick and threw him off a ladder. Then Owens hit Morrison, Nakamura, and Ricochet all with stunners. Rollins pulled Owens off a ladder and powerbombed him outside of the ring through a ladder bridge that was created between the ring apron and the announce table. And WWE, the camera, it had to pan away from it because it had to go to the finish of the match. But there were a lot of trainers around Kevin Owens at ringside. He looked like he may have gotten legitimately hurt. All I know is it was a sick bump, and he is a sick son of a bitch.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I hate ladder spots because they can be and look so painful. I much prefer tables and doing stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, that was crazy. Uh, Kevin Owens is crazy. I hope he's okay. I didn't catch him on his way out, so I don't, I
0: don't know how that looked. So Rollins and Biggie battled basically as the final two. And Big E was on like the top third, I would say, of the ladder. He takes Rollins, throws him on his shoulder, and hits an insane, incredible, ridiculous, big ending. Definitely the greatest ending of all time. I believe Pat McAfee called it the biggest ending, which it was, only to then climb unabated and take the briefcase off the hook. Folks, it is happening. Is Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. Put some meat on my meat, man. Hey, gently you now. Please gently, gently. gently, yeah, yeah. gently. Hey, I'm, I'm jealous. He don't want the water. He don't want the bread. All want oh, he wants two, is meat. There's a lot of beef out here. There's a lot of beef out here. The biggest, the meatiest, the manliest man is slapping meat. And he is the new Mr. Money in the Bank. Chris, I lost my mind. I don't want to describe the crowd reaction because I was watching on a laptop because Peacock was glitching and it was dog shit. Talk to me about what you saw live in the arena at that moment
1: people were absolutely crazy now it actually stuck out to me during when he when he entered the reaction was not all that big i don't know if that's because the song doesn't quite work compared to the new day song but it wasn't quite the entrance reaction i thought but when he hit that big ending and when he was climbing up the ladder and when he pulls down the briefcase that roof blew off it was probably the second biggest pop of the night behind john cena's appearance uh all in on the biggie train. I am excited to see where it goes. This guy absolutely there was a, I don't know if you there were a, a couple of people a couple sections trying to start you deserve a chance. Um this is the moment for him finally. Like yeah. it, it, they 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 split up new day late last I think it was late last year. He's been going on the singles run. This is it. This is the moment now. At some point he will be the guy to dethrone Roman or dethrone Lashley or something. Uh, but the rocket is strapped. The people are behind him. The arena is going absolutely crazy.
0: So I'm at home. I'm really angry because I've missed significant portions of this match due to Peacock glitching in a significant way. And I'm just trying to watch and do the job, take notes for the show. And I'm not, it wasn't ruining ruining the show or anything for me, but... It was just tough. It was a really tough moment in watching this pay-per-view. But as I'm watching that finish and all the stunners and all that, I felt it. Like, it was just, you get that feeling watching wrestling sometimes. Something special is about to happen. And when I saw that big ending, it's one of those moments. It's a highlight that will live in WWE infamy. It is, because it's that eye-catching to see that move from that height with a man like Biggie to a very over superstar like Seth Rollins. I went wild. We've basically been talking about Biggie winning Money in the Bank for a year on this podcast. And WWE, I got to give them credit because despite Biggie being the clear favorite going in, he was both of our picks. That's fine. They did not tip their hand on television, usually on a go home show or through a promo, or through someone facing certain adversity on the way into a pay-per-view, you get a really good idea of who's gonna win a briefcase. And for example, the women, we had two people picked, one of them won it. And again, we did pick Big E for this, but we discussed the best case and worst case scenarios. And Big E was the best, best case scenario by a mile. It's what we on this podcast wanted. It's clearly what the WWE fans wanted. And you can argue and quibble over certain things that WWE is giving us both now and maybe in the future at SummerSlam, but they recognized this is what fans want, and they gave it to us. And Chris, I'm adamant about certain things in WWE, and I say this on the podcast all the time, but this is Money in the Bank. It's the Money in the Bank edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? Yes, it is. So I'm going to say it one more time. The usage of the Money in the Bank briefcase is to make stars and put new people over. You use it to serve as a storyline outside of title pictures. You use it to create intrigue and excitement in your product because it can be cashed in out of nowhere. Is it going to happen on Raw, SmackDown, a pay-per-view? Is it going to be before a match, at the end of the match? Is a challenge going to be made for an upcoming show? We can talk about Tuesday, what we expect from the Money in the Bank winners, Biggie and the woman who we'll talk about a little bit later. But for this night, for this match, it was almost as perfect as one of these matches can be. This, Chris, was a five-star, A-plus match. I have to watch it again. I'm going to do it before I go to bed. But... If the NXT takeover New Orleans ladder match was five stars, and it was, then this had to be five stars too. It was simply incredible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. On the match grade, I'm right there with you. Um, It it, it felt like this was the this was the next step in a star making moment. Like everybody could sense that. Like everybody knows he's going to be the guy, and everybody knew that they just witnessed the next step in the journey. And everybody was excited to be part of that.
0: They totally were. And it was just absolutely fantastic. Now, what happened after the match is what played into the main event. Rollins was enraged backstage, screaming that the briefcase was stolen from him. He also was screaming that Edge stole his Universal title match. And obviously, they teased that Friday on SmackDown. Rollins then started chanting the word change and demanded to be next in line against the winner of the main event before storming off. So that preceded. The main event where Rollins interfered, it all tied together. And that's why it was so damn good. So just an exceptional money in the bank ladder match, what I consider to be the co-main event of the show, along with the Universal Championship. I don't know why I said consider. It literally was the co-main event of the show. So when you have a show with those two matches as your top two, it's a hell of a pay-per-view. You really have to screw things up. Otherwise, for it not to be, you know, an A or a high B from a grade standpoint. So let's talk about everything else that happened on the show. And let's go right into the next Money in the Bank match. The women's side, Asuka against Naomi. Nikki A-S-H is what they're going by. Call her Nikki Ash. It's way better. But Nikki A-S-H. That's yes, it was, yeah, it was very weird to hear A-S-H in it's person. It's so stupid. And nobody, those are my nobody, initials, by the way. But it's weird, yeah. Oh, how about that? Maybe they did it for you. It's weird. It's just, it just... Call her Ash. It's fine. Just call her that. Or, or, or she wears a butterfly on her costume. Call her Nikki Fly. Or anything else, like you've dewdrop, Come but, up with like a better Nick, name. N- Nikki Ash is honestly growing on me, so like, yeah, it's a great deal with it, <laughs> a- even H- though we,
1: we're the ones who only say it, but it's actually growing on me. Well, yes. We will say it on so the do show, that.
0: we will say it on the show. Uh, against Alexa Bliss, Selena Vega, Liv Morgan, Natalia, and Tamina. So, Liv on the kickoff show, I don't think you saw it, Chris. She choked up nearly crying three different times during a promo. It seems that she's gonna be using that gimmick, she's an emotional person. Emotions get the best of them. The Asuka and Naomi entrances were really eye catching from a visual standpoint on television. The women ran to grab ladders right away as Bliss stood motionless on the middle rope and then she pranced in the ring. She tried to summon the briefcase down and everyone looked at her like, What the hell are you doing? And that's when the match officially got underway. Bliss, Liv, Asuka, and Naomi got the biggest reactions from the crowd throughout the match. Natalia and Tamina were booed pretty constantly, which is the exact opposite reaction of WrestleMania. So you're going to say, Well, Why was it the opposite reaction? It was because they wanted them to have a great moment at WrestleMania, but when it came to the Money in the Bank ladder match, they shouldn't have been in it. Now, I understand why Natalia was in there because it was clear watching that she was the ring general the entire time. She directed everyone. She cleaned up the ring of the ladders. It made sense. There was probably a better person than Tamina to be the eighth and final person. Liv ran up a ladder while Tamina was holding it vertically. She later twisted her ankle, I think in kayfabe, and was trapped in the corner when Bliss creepily crawled towards her. Bliss hypnotized Zelina Vega and forced her to walk down the ladder, which was a cool use of that power if you're going to exercise it in a match. Natty grabbed Bliss off of a ladder for a powerbomb. Naomi caught Liv flying and powerbombed her into Zelina, who was already laying atop a ladder that was propped horizontally in the corner. Naomi caught the tag team champions with a double cutter off the ropes, then slammed Nikki into a ladder and hit her split. Natty climbed half a ladder with Zelina piggybacking her, which... Really showed off her strength. It was pretty cool. Nikki climbed a ladder outside and splashed the other women. It was a cool spot, but it was heavily choreographed. And they were all kind of just waiting for her to jump already. She was like celebrating before she even did it. Bliss finally caught Nikki with Sister Abigail, but she got forwarded up the ladder as the women threw her outside and piled 10 ladders on top of her with the crowd booing, because that's how much the crowd liked Bliss. They were pissed that she wasn't yes. being given the opportunity to win the match. Liv hit Tamina with a hurricanrana off the ladder, then took out Asuka with her face buster. Three ladders were set up in the ring with six women fighting all on top of them. When Nikki ran in, climbed over all of them, and while they were still fighting, unhooked the briefcase And what I thought was a cool and very fresh spot. Some people didn't like it. I did. It was unique and fitting for her gimmick to have someone use intelligence to win money in the bank. She's winning all these matches with La Magistral and Cradles and outsmarting her opponents. So, her winning Money in the Bank that way works as well. And the rest of the women that were still atop the ladder, they sold it well too because they were extremely pissed off and they couldn't believe it happened. So, Chris, you and I talked about it going in. The match was set up for Liv or Nikki to win. Is it who I would have booked if I had the book? No, I would have gone with Liv, as I said. But the goal of Money in the Bank is to elevate someone. And Nikki Cross was one of the three best choices to win. WWE followed through with it. She created her own gimmick, got it approved by creative, and then won money in the bank. So really good for her. The match itself was slow and messy. I can only really go three stars, maybe 3.25 if I'm being generous because there were some spots and a B, but I was happy with the winner and I thought it was a good piece of booking ultimately for Nikki to win.
1: Yeah, I would go three point five. I mean, I, just being there, I, I enjoyed the match, and and everybody was was really into it. Uh, Alexa Bliss was very much uh, over, and crowd was very into her, as you could tell by by the thing when when she came out, and and she ripped off her jacket or whatever to reveal her gear. It was a big pop for that, and 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 and. Um, People didn't like her being buried under, but I, I thought it was funny. Like, it made sense for them to do it. Like, it, it was very well done. I picked Selena Vega to win. Um, I had thought, because I picked Big E winning, I figured they wouldn't do two faces winning Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nikki Ashworth, I think most people were kind of, the reaction when she won was kind of surprised. But there was a lot of cheer for her, and, and everybody was really into it. Nobody seemed to be against it. Um, like, there wasn't a clear, you know, person for, for it to go to. They right. clearly like Liv Morgan. She was very much over with the crowd, and, and they, WWE has been building her over recent weeks, so they, they clearly like her a lot. But uh, yeah, this was, this was fun.
0: It, it wasn't the greatest match in the world, but it, it was a lot of fun, and the crowd ended up. I think what I had said on the Prediction Podcast was Biggie and Liv Morgan were my picks, but it made the most sense for each brand to have one Money in the Bank winner, definitely. So and I believe we said Nikki Ash or Naomi would be the two best choices from Raw if someone from Raw had to win. Yeah. So it did make sense the way they were going to do it. Um, and for Nikki to win, I'm really happy. Like, just like, like I don't know her personally at all, but she seems like a really good person. And this character seems to be an extension of the type of person she is in real life. So for her to get this moment and for Biggie, who we know is a really good dude who gets praised by all of his co-workers and everyone who knows him. Um, obviously Brody Lee, an extremely close friend, and he's very close with Brody Lee Jr. For him to get that moment too at the end of this tumultuous year in his life, it um, was awesome. It was really cool to see those Money in the Bank winners. So let's move on to uh, the rest of the card. I think we have four matches left, but this should be relatively quick. We'll go with the Raw Women's Championship, uh, Rhea Ripley defending against Charlotte Flair. So the crowd early in the match chance we want Becky as they're like about to get started. Flair gives a suck it gesture. Then she flicks (laughs) off the crowd with a middle finger and Peacock Peacock flashes to black, like to try to like, yes, I swear. But, but when they came back, you saw her do the finger to like the other side of the ring. So I thought that was incredibly interesting that Charlotte did that knowing what the finish was going to be, knowing, I mean, maybe she just feels invincible in WWE and, like, what are they going to do to her? And that's definitely true. But I was just surprised that she did it. It worked. The cr- she she puts her finger up and then,
1: like, walks around three quarters of the ring doing it. Right. So, so that's why when it came back, she just, she walked, she did, she walked. It was hilarious. Crowd popped huge when she did that. Started booing like crazy. And we'll get into the finish, but I thought it worked because the story kind of became... Like, we all hate Charlotte, and that was the story she ended up telling in the match, too, and the crowd reacted to it. I to, it ended up being brilliant, and it got the mat- match off to a good start uh, when,
0: when maybe it might not have otherwise. It gave the match energy after the bell that it yeah. would not have otherwise had until it got yes. to the finish, and I think for that reason it was successful. Uh, but anyway... Ripley hits a sick German suplex inside, like almost folded Charlotte in half. They did a ton of counters and reversals until Ripley deadlifted Flair from a guillotine position into a vertical suplex. And the crowd really popped for that. Flair no sold a bunch of chops, which was candidly Ripley slapping her in her breast like 10 times. It was kind of like blatant, right? But that's what they did. Um, And Ripley then paid homage to Ric Flair by flipping over the turnbuckles on a whip which I don't know that a lot of people noticed that. Flair then uh, hit a boot on the ring apron, plus her moonsault outside. And the crowd popped really big for Charlotte in that moment. Ripley avoided natural selection and got the prism trap, but Flair escaped. Charlotte reversed Riptide into a DDT for a near fall. Flair hit a back elbow, but the referee caught her blatantly using the ropes. And he just stopped the count dead. It was really funny. I don't know if it came across the same way to you, but he just looked at her. And was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm never gonna count this as a fall. So that was pretty funny. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte, yeah. Charlotte dove off the top rope for an avalanche natural selection, but Ripley kicked out in a great false finish that really worked me and it worked the crowd too. Flair slammed Ripley's skull into the ring post while she was trying to lift Charlotte into the ring, then trapped Rhea's knee between the steps in the post and ran into it three times with a boot. Uh, so Ripley starts selling the knee. Flair then locks in the figure eight and Ripley was delayed, but tapped in the center of the ring. The crowd seemed to pop huge for Charlotte, the heel winning the match, but I don't really blame them because as we've talked about on the podcast, the heel face dynamic of both superstars was confusing from the beginning. But Ripley wrestled the face side the entire match. Flair got the cheers as the heel winning the title off Ripley as, yeah, well, Barry Horowitz, both of us predicted. But Chris, this was an extremely well done. The match started slow. And again, their chemistry was off at times, but the booking was exceptional whether you wanted the title change or not. Ripley lost the title clean with a submission, but she was given an injury excuse and she did not get pinned. Flair takes the title with a face on Raw holding the Money in the Bank briefcase. And the match was just extremely entertaining with some really big spots. So I personally, I went four stars and an A-minus.
1: Yeah, I would give it the same. And 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 the crowd reaction at the end was partly just cheering. What was an awesome match? I I, I mean th- that started off. They start off with we want they getting we want Becky Chance, and they turn it into this is awesome Chance. They Just really cannot credit Charlotte and Rhea enough for the tremendous job they did in this match to get everybody into it. This is the best match I've seen from Rhea in quite a while, at least on the main roster, uh, it, it, it was really well done. The problem is, like you said, Rhea wasn't positioned as a face. When she came out, she got almost no reaction because nobody knows what they're supposed to do with her. And there were there were children sitting behind me who kind of booed and kind of cheered, and they couldn't know what to make of her either. And I think that's what's really hurt her character. But it worked out in this match where she became the face in the match because Charlotte was being a, an asshole, and it worked. And then you cheer at the end because, it was like, man, this was an album match. That was a great finish. Just well done, everybody all around. So that was awesome. And I, I saw a couple times I popped onto Twitter to see what was going on. I saw a lot of reaction of people like, ugh, Charlotte wins again. But, like, if you can't appreciate that match and the work she's done over the last couple of months, like, just, like, get out of here. She, she is one of the best women's wrestler, maybe the best women's wrestler going right now. And that match exemplified why.
0: And you and I did discuss this on the Go Home Show Friday. Rhea Ripley, it's great that they debuted her having her win the title against Asuka. She is the future of the WWE women's division, and she's extremely talented. But her booking so far has been atrocious since she had that semi-debut, whatever you want to call it, at WrestleMania in WWE. Um, and they really needed to reset her character, maybe even her gimmick a little bit, and just her storyline and her kind of remaining the women's champion and going into SummerSlam as the women's champion. When you have Charlotte on that roster and presumably you're going to beef up the women's division and you have all these other women who can you know, challenge Charlotte and wrestle Ripley and do all these things, they needed to make the title change. You and I both expected it for that reason, and I think it's a blessing in disguise, even if you don't want... Charlotte to be champion again. I think it's better for Ripley that she's no longer champion right now. So that six, nine months from now, when she does win the title again, she's over better. You have a better feel for her. You actually want to root for her and she's a face or you hate her and she's a dastardly heel and you start you know booing her in that way. But one way or the other, she was in this very weird tweener role and they just couldn't commit to either side of it. And they needed to do this. So I thought it was the right booking. It was a very good match. Very few missed spots and just top tier entertainment. So that was good. Let's move on. We got a couple more matches before we get out of here. Uh, The WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley against Kofi Kingston. So Kofi and New Day, they have really sweet new Mario Brothers graphics. Uh, He appeared solo Kofi to New Day Rocks Chance. Bobby Lashley made his pretty general entrance that wasn't much new regarding his package. After the ring bell, MVP held Kofi's foot, and I got legitimately worked and worried for a second. Lash, I, I thought that was going to be a uh, Lesnar squash, Brock Lesnar squash again, um, and it would just work out that way. Lashley caught Kofi with the almighty spine buster. Then uh, he just deadlifted, threw him outside. He did the ring post helicopter spot twice. He had a flatliner. Kofi was put in the hurt lock, but he didn't even break it. Lashley instead just did a followaway slam. And another flat liner, Lashley then hit the Dominator three times and soaked in heavy booze before finally ending it with the Hurt Lock. Despite a long run time, I think it was like seven or 11 minutes, something like that in that range, Kofi got squashed here and he got zero offense. So look, I get it. And I think some of you are going to disagree with me here, but they wanted to do the Brock Lesnar shit again, but they saw that people were really pissed when it happened last time. So they didn't want to be as insulting to Kofi, but him being in this match with Lashley and being treated like a toy for seven to 10 minutes, it's the identical booking. It actually might be worse because rather than just running into a finisher, being overzealous and getting caught, he got his ass absolutely kicked. Now the next argument is going to be, well, if Lesnar can beat the shit out of John Cena and squash him, why can't Lashley do it to Kofi? And it's a fair argument. He can do it to Kofi. And Lashley looking dominant is positive. Don't get me wrong. You want this guy to be a really strong champion, especially given what's coming up next that we're not going to spoil. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. But you have to think about the context. Fans love Kofi. Fans have been waiting for this pay-per-view for 18 months, this type of moment, not for Kofi, but for WWE. And you reward them with a squash match for the WWE title. I don't like that. And then again, like I said, the rumors of Monday that everyone basically knows kind of makes this even worse. The match gets no grade because it was a squash. The segment, I guess I'll give it a C minus because of the redeeming things I mentioned, but it actively angered me because we could have had the exact same booking in let's say a 12 to 15 minute match. The first five minutes, Kofi gets some offense. Maybe he stuns Lashley early and gets him on his heels. And then Lashley gets angry about that and dominates him for 10 minutes. I don't see why they couldn't have done that. I wasn't thrilled with it, but I understand why they did it. Yeah, I I mean, like, you have to credit
1: WWE for telling the story. And if you watch that video package, they telegraph the whole thing. It talks about how dominant Lashley is. And then he's getting off of his game because of MVP, because of the women. And he loses a couple times. And the last thing Lashley says, Kofi, Kofi, I'm going to end your life. I'm getting focused now. And so what did we get? We got a focus Bobby Lashley. And when Bobby Lashley is focused, nobody can take him down. And that was the story. And it went through that. And whatever happens on Monday, you know, we'll react to that when it happens. But I, I got what they did. And I'll say the crowd did not react with boos. The crowd was in shock. It, 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 it was that Brock Lesnar-John Cena beatdown, which, by the way, one of my favorite matches of the last two It was very good. Because, yeah. yes, the context was different, though. Obviously, Cena was not Kofi. But the the extended beatdown, it's like you, people kept getting into it because they're like, okay, Kofi's going to make his comeback now. You're waiting okay, for the hope go, spot. Okay. And then he does it. Right. He's coming up. He's coming he's, he, he, yo, he, let's Let's start clapping. He's going to come back. He's, no, he doesn't. And he's just getting pounded. And then it's just over. And you're just like. Fuck, (laughs) that (laughs) sucks for Kofi Kingston. And I like, yes, the Brock Kofi stuff. I get it. We all love Kofi, but you know, this wasn't the main event of the match of the show. It was in the middle of the show. They're telling the story. We may not like what happens next with Bobby Lashley, but I got what they did. They told the story. It sucks because it's Kofi, but I'm loving. Bobby Lashley right now out of the promo he cut on the final Thunderdome Raw going into this. And now this match, he looks awesome. And that's important.
0: Yeah. For the booking that they want, for the story they wanted to tell, it did its job. It succeeded in that way. You know, again, we get into sometimes in our heads like, hey, I would I would book it this way. They would book it that way. I just, in a match like that, when there's paying customers there and you know, you're someone who's at the pay-per-view and clearly it didn't bother you as much as it bothered me, but if I'm a paying customer for a pay-per-view and I'm getting really hyped up for a, you know, John Cena Brock Lesnar match in that case, although that was different and very special, but in this case, a Bobby Lashley, Kofi Kingston match, the first WWE championship match between two black men in company history. I want to see a match. And I kind of want to see Kofi get some offense Because he's the man, and I love him, and Kofi Mania not too long ago popped everyone. So for them to kind of give him up in that way after doing what they did with Brock Lesnar, I don't think it means they don't like Kofi. I don't think it's an insult to him necessarily. It's just depressing that this guy who fans willed on their way to be WWE champion, he finally gets elevated back into the main event, and then that's the match that he has.
1: Back to the, the crowd reaction to this. It it wasn't like anger because this was the third, maybe the fourth most important match on the card behind the the Universal Championship and the Men's Money in the Bank in terms of I think what people were looking most for. It was number four, just based I would, on yeah, yeah. So so you know, paying customers the biggest thing in the world. It sucks specifically to Kofi because we love Kofi and we want more from him. Absolutely.
0: All right, let's move on to the two tag team title matches. Raw tag was on the main show, AJ Styles and Omos against the Viking Raiders. There was a great spot early with Omos catching Styles and throwing him out of the ring, only for Eric to catch him and eat a flying hurricanrana. Omos later caught Ivar by the throat for a body slam. His action, Omos, has been limited, but this was easily the best he has looked. He picked Ivar off the top rope and press slammed him with ease, but only got a two count because he just stood on his chest with one foot for the fall. The Raiders did get a bunch of offense in. Uh, they knocked Omas down, and they also knocked him outside. Then they hit the Viking experience on Styles, only for Omas to grab Eric by the throat from beyond the ropes and throw him into the ring, not into the ring over the ropes, but into the center of the ring to break the fall. Omas finally caught Eric with the two-handed choke powerbomb for the win so they could retain the titles. There was good action. Uh, the crowd seemed to really pop for Omos but it felt like a tornado match at times. And again, if I'm going to criticize AEW for really not following tags in their matches, then when a WWE match does it, I'm going to say the same thing. The Raiders were properly following the rules, but styles and Omos, there was almost occasionally no rhyme or reason. So who was in the ring, who was getting a fall, who was legal or not. It was just kind of messy, but it was good action. The crowd popped for it. So I'll go with a flat three stars and a B minus. Yeah, this was, this was
1: good. It was fine. It was fun. Uh, Crowd was, uh, chanting for AJ Styles many times. I, I, I guess they're the heel tag team, but based on the crowd, they were not. And the Viking Raiders got booed quite a bit, uh, when, when they were beating up on AJ. So I don't think, I don't think you can keep this tag team going as a, I don't even know. I guess technically they're a heel team, but I don't think you can keep going with them. It's a heel team much longer because people seem really into them. People love AJ Styles. It, it, it's just, it's a fun thing they have going on. So. Well, I, I hope they can figure out if they can kind of book them more face moving forward. Uh, this was fun. I, I, I still love Omos. He still seems to have a lot of the little things down. It's kind of the, the obviously the bigger things that he needs to learn and, and, and will. Uh, but I, I love his future. I love this tag team. This is the finish we expected. And this was good. It was fun.
0: And then lastly, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. This was on the kickoff show in the Mysterios against the Usos. The Mysterio's got a new video entrance with like an Aztec temple and a time travel portal. Honestly, it was terrible. It looked bad. I'm sure in the arena, it looked awful on TV. It was just the worst thing that WWE's done from an entrance standpoint in a while. I credit them for trying at least, um, but it just wasn't good. As listener Brian D pointed out, the Usos added gold accents to the leg of their black gear which is reminiscent of the gold glove that Roman Reigns wears. So that was pretty cool. Uh, The Usos caught Dominic flying outside, swung him into the barricade. Ray hit a seated senton on Jay for a near fall, and Jimmy got one after a great pop-up smo and drop. Jimmy threw Dom into the post and then sacrificed himself as Ray was about to hit a 619 on on Jay. That allowed Jay to rebound, catch Mysterio flying with a super kick, and hit the Usos splash, only for Ray to kick out at 29 in what was a great false finish. That one and the Flair Ripley one were maybe the two best false finishes on the show. The Usos went for a double splash when Dom stopped it, but Jimmy rolled up Ray and Jay used his feet from outside the ring to push him from behind to get extra leverage on the roll-up, forcing the title change. Now, normally on this podcast, we hate roll-ups and I didn't love it in this spot either, they probably could have hit the Usos splash in one clean and it would have been good. But it did make a ton of sense. And it was a good way to use it, showing the extra leverage as a reason why the person didn't kick out of it. It was a smart way to begin the show and get the crowd popping, even though they really should have booed the Usos, just like they should have booed Ripley. They should have booed the Usos winning the titles. Now in the match, the action started slow. It picked up massively toward the end. But the storytelling... Of Jimmy's sacrifice and Jay repaying that effort back to him was tremendous. The crowd went crazy for the false finish and the title change and a strong kickoff show match. I think you and I talked about it on Twitter Spaces. I know I did. We went into this thinking the Mysterios would retain, but as the show got closer and closer, I started feeling like there was going to be a title change and the Usos would take it. I think we talked about why would you do it here when you could do it on SmackDown and really pop the crowd. But it did make sense in the context of everything else that happened to make the change. That's ultimately what they did. And I got to say I was a little bit down on the match in the first half, but I wound up at 3.5 stars and a B for the story and the finish because I really loved those two things. Oh man, I- I'm giving this 4.25
1: 4.5. Outside now, of the Money okay. in the Bank match, this is my favorite and I think this was the crowd's second favorite match of the night. They were Absolutely hot for the entire thing. Usos come out first, huge pop. I had no problem with the Mysterio entrance. Maybe it's just the energy in the crowd. Everybody was just really into it. Match was super fun. You mentioned that 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 spot where um, I think it was Jimmy. I don't remember which one. Who takes the six one nine? Everybody thought that was the end. And when there was a kick out at the end, there that was that was a, a huge uh, false finish. And the the finish it was like it was a roll up cheat to win, but it was so different. I'd never seen that before, and that's what made it really cool and and like everybody like everybody reacted like, no, they cheated like we all got suckered into the whole thing like we were like excited at the finish, but also mad because they cheated to win. It was an awesome feeling uh I love this match, and it was it was up until the up until probably the men's ladder, I don't remember the order, up until the men's ladder match, this was the hottest moment of the night, the kickoff uh-huh. match. It it
0: was awesome. I, I loved it. And then after that happened, after the main show started, uh, the Usos presented the titles to Reigns as a gift, but he told them to hold on to them. Reigns then praised Jay, and he said, Jimmy was smart enough to learn from Jay, which caused Jimmy to go from a smile to, like, a frown. He was really upset to hear that. Reigns took credit for doing the heavy lifting of bringing Jay back. And then he also insinuated without saying it that he saved Jimmy from punishment for the real life DUI that he had. to <laughs> get the fact that he's yes. still on screen and just won the tag team titles as like a reward for getting a DUI, which I know is not what happened, but you know, I'm sure they just following through I mean, the booking they had planned, but it was ridiculous. I, I mean,
1: when he said that everybody in the crowd went, Oh, right. When Roman said that, but, like you talk about rewarding for DUI, I mean, being real here, it's very weird and surprising, and maybe not good that Jimmy Uso gets a DUI and like a week and a half later wins a tag team championship belt. Like we've seen, doesn't even WWE, miss one
0: week of TV. Yeah. yeah,
1: we we've seen WWE handle these things in di-
0: uh, many different ways
1: in the past. Uh, and well, and the, the I, last
0: time the last time Jimmy got a DUI, and again we said this on the other podcast. Uh, have the fact that we have to say last time, right? You shouldn't have any yeah, let alone makes, one let yeah. alone two or more. But the last time they got suspended for six months and, and Jay suffered from it as well. They were both yeah. out for six or seven months. This time they don't even miss a week of television. Like, so yeah. don't really don't obviously like that, but sometimes you have to separate like what happened on the screen from what's happening in real life. And as far as what happened on the screen, it was really good working that in to have Reigns kind of hold that over Jimmy to say, like, your ass would have been, he didn't say this, but your ass would have been fired if it wasn't yeah. for making sure that you weren't, it, you know, was really interesting for them to do it that way. So yeah. Jay then praised Reigns and Jimmy tried to suck up to him, saying, I acknowledge you, man. You're the tribal chief. And Reigns just kind of kept looking at Jay and praising Jay. And then they did the triple hug again. I just thought it was a fantastic storytelling moment. It's really the last thing for us to talk about but it sets the stage for like this really odd dynamic of now Jimmy's trying to win Reigns' approval. Um, He's buying in after not initially buying in, and he's kind of part of it, but Reigns doesn't trust him the way he does Jay. So the whole dynamic is awesome. I heard that that entire thing didn't necessarily get as much attention in the arena, maybe, as it did on TV, but I liked it a lot.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it made sense. I mean, there were... Even during that first match, um, pockets trying to start DUI chance and stuff like that. And, and and frankly, WWE. Like I've seen a lot of people criticizing WWE for this. Like have at it. Like I totally understand. They oh they yeah, they be, deserve. Criticism. They probably should yeah. criticism for a guy getting a DUI, another DUI, and uh, him being put in this position. But if it, but talking about the story, you put it in this story like it's being acknowledged. It's. Maybe it's wrong the way they're acknowledging it, but I have to give them credit for playing into it and putting it into the story because it works.
0: It does. So, Chris, that is the breakdown of WWE Money in the Bank. The last thing we do here after the instant analysis of the show is give our post-show grade. Now, a reminder, Chris and I entered believing that this would be an A-minus show. You, the listeners in our pre-show poll, voted... I'm going to round everything here. 57% 57% A, 38% B, that's 95% A and B, 4% C and 1% D and F in the post show poll. 75% said this was an A. Woo! 22% said this was a B. That's 97% of respondents A or B, somehow up from 95% pre-show. 2.9% said C. And for the first time in the history of these polls, not a single person could even troll vote D or F. That's how good this show is. So Chris, 97% A or B, because it's 22% B, I think you probably have to go with an A minus final grade, at least from what the the listeners are saying. And I always let you go first here when we do the post-show grades. What is your post-show grade? I'm giving it an A all the way. I'm not saying it was the greatest show of all time, but
1: everything delivered. Nothing in the show was bad. Um, I'm sure being there in the crowd uh, is 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 a uh, is factoring into that. But man, just everything accomplished what it needed to accomplish. Everything was enjoyable. Everything was good. Everything had a moment, and then you you get sent home with a John Cena surprise return. Like I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I give it an A all the way. I don't know how you can't.
0: Well, it's in, it's in it's in the A range for me, right? But for me, an A show, basically every match has to be, I don't know, three stars or higher, right? And because that Kofi Lashley thing wasn't necessarily top tier, the, the main event didn't exactly have a clean finish. These are nitpicks, right? But when you're going after a top tier grade for a pay-per-view, you have to nitpick it. So I'm like right on the edge of an a minus and an a honestly if i'm if i'm kind of adding it up here i'm probably at like 93.5% like if we're doing a school grade so you can attribute whichever one you want to me but i think what sends it over the top for me at least was the biggie win and then the john cena return at the end kind of made up for any ills that we may have had so you know what i will Round up the grade. I will go with an A. It was a great show. We've talked about it from the beginning, not the beginning of the pandemic, but from basically after last year's Money in the Bank, whatever that next pay-per-view was, all the way until now, WWE has not missed on its pay-per-views. Now, not all of them were A's. Somewhere in the B minus, B range, no question. But they didn't even have C pay-per-views. They have given us really entertaining shows. And for this one, to be the best of the bunch, top to bottom. I mean, maybe you can make an argument about night one of WrestleMania being the best. I don't know, but the fans took this thing completely over the top. It, I think, was the best show that we've gotten in over 18 months at this point from WWE. And it has now set a a bar where that bar is saying, we are the bar. No, it's saying, that SummerSlam has to be better than this. And I think it's going to be based on the early booking that we're hearing, especially the two matches that seem to get booked on this show. But if this is what WWE is going to do on pay-per-views, Chris, I'm not saying it excuses rematches on television because it doesn't. I'm not saying it excuses bad booking on Raw because it doesn't. But I can stomach it If I get paid off every month with a show like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every from money in the bank last year to now, they've hit on every single one to varying degrees. But this just took it to another level. And now you've got SummerSlam after this. So it just keeps building and building. It's just like they have the end down so well. They just can't figure out the journey <laughs> to get us there I know, I in know. some of these things. That was kind of the case at WrestleMania, too. It was like, you knew it was going to be a good show, just the build was not good. So just like, I don't know, just figure it out. There there are so many talented wrestlers, and we know the video team's going to do a great job doing the match trailers <laughs> beforehand, and it'll get you hyped for the match. Just like, just plan it out. A month ahead of time, what you're going to do and make it pretty good because you know we'll be there at the end.
0: Well, that's what we said even going in here. We're like, look, the build wasn't. This is a big pay per view for WWE, and the build was really lackluster in some areas. And yet, going in, we said it's going to be an A minus because the card is so ridiculously strong, and they did deliver. Whether you're A or A minus, or if someone out there is a B plus or a B, you know it's fine. Never to each their own, right? But this was a very very good show. It was well worth the hours that we spent arguing and complaining about a lot of WWE's booking on the way in. And yes, even the issues with Peacock, which were horrendous tonight and Peacock as a whole is something that we should talk about maybe on Tuesday show if we have time, depending how much happens on Raw, but they got to fix that thing. And even going through those issues and me having to watch a stream somewhere that may not be, have been in the United States. Um, Even doing all of that, all that stress, it was a fantastic show. So A's, A-minuses, whatever you want to call it all around, WWE Money in the Bank delivered. And you know what also delivers? The Getting Over Wrestling podcast, because we just gave you an instant analysis of a pay-per-view starting taping just minutes after it went off the air. We do this for every major pay-per-view for WWE NXT TakeOver's and AEW. So be sure if you are a first-time listener to subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it. And hey, in case for some reason you're listening to us on a strange device, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Android, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts, you can find the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Now here's what's ahead in the coming week for us on Tuesday. Yes, very soon. Uh, We will be back with another WWE episode. We're going to break down everything that happens on the Raw after Money in the Bank. There's still a bunch of things that happened on SmackDown that did not factor into the show. Sami Zayn, there was a very special return on SmackDown. Cesaro and Otis had a match, Baron Corbin, things continued there. And also last week, you learned that Mandy Rose got moved to NXT. So we're going to talk about all of that on Tuesday's WWE show, along with what happens on Raw. John Cena is making his big appearance on Raw. That's going to be very exciting. And then on Thursday next week, we're going to come back with our NXT and AEW episode. In the meantime, in between time, you guys can do the Silver King a favor. You just need to remind yourself what this show is all about. So go ahead. Be Marks for the Silver King. Be Marks for Vintage. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let people know how much you love the show and how much you love these Instant Analysis episodes. And do not forget, please, to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. It's how you can participate in the polls that we're talking about. You can also join us for live shows on twitter spaces that we do before pay-per-views and we tweet live during every tv show and pay-per-view we also share news and a bunch of other cool stuff on our twitter account so with all of that finally in the books for vintage christmas you this is the silver king adam silver king. we will see you on tuesday but i'm gonna leave you with three final words bye for now